Welcome into another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you. And wow, what what a race at Texas Motor Speedway last weekend as Joseph Newgarden gets the win in the PPG 375 fitting as he gets the win in the PPG car for Team Penske. Is it me or does he seem to win a lot when his car sponsor is the sponsor of a race? Yeah, that that does seem to happen a lot. I, I would not disagree with you on that one. So Newgarden gets the win holding off Pato Award in just a thrilling race. We'll get to that. Plus possibility on uh, some extra Indy 500 entries and uh, more on some testing taking place. All that to come this week, and we'll debate green-white checkered finishes for IndyCar. That's all to come on this episode, but of course, we'll start with the recap of the race at Texas Motor Speedway. As I mentioned, Joseph Newgarden getting the win, holding off Pato Award, who came home in second after dominating the race. What At one point, he'd lapped as, as high as fourth place on the grid. I thought it was second. I thought it was just him and Newgarden at one point. second during... You know what? You're right. I think the top two, and that was just because of pit stop cycles, I believe. I thought it was up to the top two, and then they had a caution, and then it went back to eight during the wave around. Yeah. And that's a that's a rule, too, that we need to talk about, yes. because when we talk about gimmicky um, lucky dogs in Cup, it's more gimmicky in IndyCar, but we'll get to that later. Yes, absolutely. So plenty to dive into on this week's episode. We'll start with our three takeaways. I, I think for me, the number one takeaway is that as good as Pato Award has been in these first two races of the season, two second place finishes on races that you would have expected wins. And I know we're not talking championship standings right now, but we'll look back on this later in the season. And I will be curious to see how impactful those second place finishes as opposed to wins are when it comes to the championship going into Laguna Seca, because for as good as Aaron McLaren has been to start the year, they've once again left a lot of points on the table. You still have to finish, right? And we can say that Pato Ward across the first two races of the season has been the most dominant driver in IndyCar right now. It's just, unfortunately, for Pato, hasn't been able to get it done. And uh, at least with the with the first week, you could, you could say it was the issue with, uh, you know, the mechanical, but... Unfortunately, as dominant he, as he was, wasn't dominant enough when it counted. Yeah, I, I think that's the unfortunate part. I mean, this, this is a guy who dominated this race, led 91 laps. And I know that Joseph Newgarden led more laps, but Pato had, I, I think, a slightly better car during the course of this race. Uh, Felix Rosenquist had the pole, and he kind of fell back really right at the beginning. Actually, at least led some laps this year. Last year, I don't believe he led any laps despite winning the pole, so... Back-to-back polls. Obviously, Rossi qualified well and was running well in the top five until his incident with Kirkwood. I'm sure we'll get to that as well. But for this team, look, we've seen speed. We're not seeing, though, the, the complete results really outside of award for the most part. And once again, another opportunity at Long Beach where you would expect them to be very competitive between Rossi and, and what he's done there in the past and awards run strong there and his run strong on street courses. You think, you know, how much longer can they leave these races on the table? I get it that weird things happen, but to have this now in back to back races, you know, you talked about it last week, you know, between Pinsky and Ganassi or everyone else. And, you know, Pinsky closes the deal on these mm-hmm. races and New Garden, you know, being right place, right time. Yes, it is lucky. But even you think about Scott Dixon, 
like luck only goes so far. You you do things over and over again a certain way, you're going to get results. And this is why when I said at the jump, in, until somebody crashes the Ganassi Penske party in terms of championship contention, I don't think anybody else is a contender for any other team. And this is precisely why, because McLaren has a random mechanical issue that happens that costs them a win at St. Petersburg. And then a dominant car doesn't win the race at Texas. Some of it's luck, some of it's preparation or lack thereof. Sometimes it's just not closing. And all of those have kind of been thrown together for McLaren in the first couple of weeks, not just with Pato Ward, but of course, Alexander Rossi with what we saw on pit road. And we'll get to that here shortly as well. But this is why folks, when you talk parody in IndyCar, yeah, any P anybody of, of, of 18 to 20 different drivers can win a race. But in the end, there's only two teams in this series that can win a championship and it's Penske and Ganassi. And until that changes, then it's it, true. It's the narrative. Yeah, it's, it's true. That's yes. been a fact since 2012 and Ryan Hunter won the title in the, the first year of the DW 12. And since then it has been a Penske and Ganassi party. Now if other drivers stepped up and come close, yes, Joseph Newgarden, when he ran for Ed Carpenter, was close Colton one year. Herta was close. Pato's been close. Pato's been close. Um, Graham Rahal's been close. Close doesn't mean anything. Until you close, until you win a championship, there's only two teams in this series that are capable of winning the Astor Cup. Meanwhile, let's go to your second takeaway, or your first takeaway. I was going to say, man, did I, did I already my, my first? So, <laughs> no. talking about my, my first takeaway, let's talk about the event in general in terms of the racing. And I think crowd will talk about that later. But in terms of the racing, and let's talk about the true MVP of this event is Will Power. He was the one last year that seemingly IndyCar had run out of ideas. What have, what have they done in the past? They've they've uh, tried to wipe the, the 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 track clean of the PBJ. They tried to um, what do they like a drag tires? Yeah, the tire drag. The tire drag didn't work. Right, all this stuff, and it's it's Will Power that goes, hey why don't you just put some drivers in cars and let's drive up on that second lane? And they're like, oh, let's do that. And last year it was very limited, and it sounds like IndyCar limited it to how many cars they wanted going around because we heard at least over the weekend um, that a couple drivers wanted to race or wanted to run that and felt it was unfair that they couldn't. But then this year the entire series goes out there. Some guys were just using it as practice. You could tell they were rarely getting up there. Other guys were, and that was part of the key, both that and I think – at credit to Cup, they did it for no reason to benefit IndyCar whatsoever, but the resin instead of the the PB1, uh, PJ1, PBJ, whatever it is, uh, I think is a little less slick. I don't think it's ideal, but it's it's less dangerous than the, the, the PBJ was. So uh, overall, I felt it raced really well. It's not vintage Texas. I, I don't think it'll ever be. I don't know if I really want it to be vintage Texas because – for the most part of that final 50 laps or so, you're on your edge of your seat. Good and bad, right? So um, I think it was a great event. I think it's something to build on for Texas. And it was great racing, respectful racing, I felt for the large part, for the largest part. And um, just a great event at Texas and and, uh, and great win for, for Joseph Newgarden. So when we entered last, last weekend, we talked about it. You've talked about it, Caleb, in terms of... of of this event needing to show a significant step forward, not just in the stands, but also on track. We saw that over the weekend. Oh, no doubt. That was a massive step forward. I mean, you go back to this event in 2020, and then they did the the two races in 2021. 
largely uncompetitive. 2019 was okay. I think a lot of people point to 2017 as the last kind of really good right. Texas race. Um, they've shifted the date multiple times. It's gone from a night race to an afternoon, early afternoon to race. Deep in summer, hot as hell race yes, to, to now a spring early race. spring, now mid spring. Yeah. Um, on the schedule, it, it's it's moved around so much. But as far as what they did in, uh, you, you catch the Townsend Bell kind of still your PBJ line. He did. <laughs> was that on on Peacock? It was on, on the Peacock during session? the session. Yeah, it was the, yeah, it was the Highline, and I was like, wait a minute, because I was kind of half paying attention. <laughs> And, uh, and I was playing catch up all weekend because I was coming back from, from spring break. And so I, I was actually watching every session on Sunday and, uh, you told me, Hey, hurry up and watch everything because we're going to talk about this on our morning show on Monday morning. So I'm trying to cram everything in on <laughs> Sunday as a, 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 on top of getting back home and unpacking all that stuff. So trying to watch everything. And then, so I was half kind of paying attention. I was like, wait a second. I rewound it and yeah, Hey, that's my material Townsend stealing my material, but no, um, I felt like the, uh, the Highline session that needs to be mandatory. I think it will be mandatory again next year because it worked out so well. It also helps when we talk about big car counts. Twenty-eight cars going around in circles to to uh, at, open a second groove is a little bit better than twenty-one cars. Yeah, so that helps well, as well. And, and last year it was a select group. What was it like right, six, six? Wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was six. So having them split up into two groups and giving them an opportunity. I think Elio had an issue, so he was not able to participate. But overall. It was helpful. And something Joseph uh, Joseph Newgarden mentioned post-race that I found interesting is that after last year's race, drivers noticed that Jimmy Johnson was making the high line work. And, and granted, he's a guy who had a ton of success in stock cars at Texas Motor Speedway. A little bit different in an Indy car, but he was patient, picked his spots. And, you know, I, I rewatched going into the Texas weekend. I rewatched, you know, they have those 30-minute highlights. Right. So I yeah. rewatched last year's 30-minute highlights. And there are a lot of passes of Jimmy Johnson making passes work on the high side, not so much for other drivers, obviously, think, except late in the race. Yeah, Nick Kirkwood ran up there for a little bit before yeah. he wrecked out. Uh, but yeah, Jimmy Johnson was kind of that guy that could make it work throughout the race last year. And, and Joseph kind of said, because Jimmy did it, it it showed us what we could do with this. And I think that's another thing to take away is just you have guys with you know maybe a different perspective or used to racing Texas differently like Jimmy did coming over from cup and then into IndyCar for a couple seasons, but he kind of showed a different way to do it. And that worked out. And and we saw, I think despite having two guys dominate kind of the middle portion of the race, it never felt like, Oh, this isn't entertaining or this isn't watchable because you're constantly having guys navigate lap traffic, which right. that in and of itself can be entertaining because the, the gaps can widen and the gaps can close yeah. very quickly because of that. Just have Scott it, it McLaughlin felt like an old school, yeah. Dangers of that's flat right. traffic, it, right? It, it felt like an old school cart race on a short oval, where the leader, you know, right. starts lapping guys pretty early on, and then you're navigating that the entire race, and that may catch you off guard at some point. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, for for a lot of people, drivers, fans, it was a significant upgrade on uh, over the weekend. So, great job by IndyCar, but particular great job. By 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 willpower, being the guy with the bright idea last year that really set this whole thing in motion, and it worked out tremendously well this season. I'm going to get to my second takeaway. I'm going to save some juicy ones for you because I, <laughs> I'm going to go positive this one. Okay. Uh, how about Hunko's Hollinger Racing? Yeah. How about lot a top ten finishing in ninth? Augustine Canapino finishing in twelfth, so he's got two twelfth place finishes. 
on two very tough circuits to start your IndyCar career. A, a street course is always going to be tough for any driver coming in as a rookie. And he, he did well at St. Pete, and I get it. There was a lot of carnage at St. Pete. And then at Texas, I, I mean, he was solid all weekend. That's perhaps the toughest oval to, to come in on because you have limited practice time, and I get they had more practice time than perhaps in years past, but it, it's tough just a short weekend where it's a two-day event. But for him to finish 12th and you know, qualifying there mid-pack, but I think that also shows you how far this team has grown. It, it's not a pace issue, and qualifying is probably not going to be their strength most of the season but it's also not going to be an issue. And I think for this team, and I think Townsend said it, I think on Peacock on opening weekend at St. Yeah, Pete. About they're saying, not a little team that could, this anymore. is not the little team. You know, I saw their hospitality area and, and this is, this is a, a true, their engineering level team. Yeah. The engineering room is massive. So I, I think they continue to impress and, and look, will it be tough for them at long beach perhaps, but they've answered the bell so far through two races. And, they are a true mid-pack team and perhaps the leader of the mid-pack teams in IndyCar. And who would have thought that going into the season? It's been pretty incredible. We thought Augustine Canapino, there was a, part, a portion way back when, when he did the exhibition in Argentina, was like, okay, he's just going to be a one-off. And I felt he was going to be a dude that was going to be in the seat, but it was more to bring in uh, interest and advertisers, right, from Argentina. And yes, he's doing that, but he's also come in and been absolutely competent in the seat and i talked about this before about augustine canapino is he's a dude that's old by racing standards right yes, he's 33. in his mid, mid 30s he has plenty of racing plenty of championships behind him he's not coming in as a guy that's saying this is my big opportunity in racing and i need to make the most of it and time is ticking or i'm 23 years old and i'm really trying to make a name for myself and i'm, I'm lacking patience and lacking tact and this that and the other He's a veteran driver who's been around racing for a long time. Yeah, not technically open wheel racing, but racing in general. And he knows he's racing for something different. He's racing to just go out there and finish and be uh, a, a solid midfield guy and not maybe not compete for wins, but take advantage of opportunities when they're there. And he's not racing looking back and saying, man, if I don't if I don't execute by the end of of may or by the end of the season i'm going to be replaced right he's in a different spot than a lot of these drivers and he's deliberate he's intentional he's patient he's driving like that and it's turned into two really good races for augustine canapino based on the expectations and then you have callum out of top 10 as well out of texas so kudos to that team far and above right now a lot of teams in the paddock particularly ray hall letterman lanigan Yes, that, that is one of uh, several teams that seem to be struggling early in the season. I think a final thought on Hunkos, what they've done. So instead of cobbling something together like Hunkos did in years past, they're very deliberate in coming back to IndyCar right. with Callum Eilat and then now adding a second car with Augustine Canapino. And we're seeing those results bear out and bear fruit, if you will, because of that methodical approach, like we saw with Meyer Shank right. in years past. Yeah, and th- we saw it with Scott McLaughlin coming in, right, and that learning season. And I think that's that's the key to IndyCar is being patient, being methodical, me- being deliberate, whether you're a team trying to, to, to cut its teeth and get into IndyCar, or it's a driver, or it's, um, you know, anything really is – is you look at that deliberate step, you look at Meyer Shank adding a couple races, then they did a couple more, then they added a full season, then they added another car, right? And so 
That's what worked for Meyer Shank. You saw Scott McLaughlin go through his rookie paces and show some signs and then really break out in year two. And we're seeing Hunkos this time, a second time around, is really kind of figured out single car going into two cars, not going after maybe flashy young drivers that are capable of, of, of top results, but also could bring home wrecked race cars time and again as well. And also a guy you can build around with an Argentinian owner, Argentinian driver tapping into that Argentina market. It's, it's working great for Junco so far. Two out of 17 doesn't make an entire season, but wow, what a start for them. And I mean, a young team, they they had to add extra crew, obviously, for a second car. So everyone working through the paces, I think they've even admitted they're getting there on pit stops. That's a, a work in progress. But to have a guy with just one full season of experience in Calamila and then Augustine Canapino coming in Every weekend, he's learning a new track uh, that he's not learned before. I get he tested at Texas, uh, but that's about it as far as his experience so far. But you're seeing just a lot of good success here early. Not that that's going to last the rest of the season, but it's been very promising so far. What's your second takeaway? Uh, second takeaway, we let's talk about Ray Hall Letterman Lane Let's again do it. And just how pathetic they are. I mean, there's no other real word for it. And you could see the frustration with Graham Ray Hall. And I know... Some of us, we, we've talked about um, Jack Harvey, and it's like, oh, man, he's been terrible. He needs to be better. Graham Rahal needs to be better in qualifying. But by and large, I, I don't look at this point. I don't point to the drivers as the biggest problem. They're part of the problem, but they're not the biggest problem. This team is just, I don't know if it spends less than other teams when it comes to behind-the-scenes stuff and and, and aero and engineering and research and, and I don't know, like wind tunnel and and rig and all that stuff i i don't even know but they are just so far off every weekend that it's it's embarrassing for a three-car team it's absolutely embarrassing we saw in saint pete where it was a brake bias issue and they were way off and had a lot of issues in the the first practice session graham said oh we figured it out and they did yeah they did figure it out that weekend but at texas they were all lost i, I mean no one had anything to show and all three of them were lapped within, what, 30 laps, yes. something like that? Yeah, they had no speed in qualifying. I mean, you look at the qualifying results as far as their starting position. Uh, Jack Harvey started last, Christian Lungard in, in 27, second to last, and then Graham Rahal started 24th. in 24th. So, so there bad. was no speed for any of the cars. It wasn't like a one-car or multi-car issue. Is the entire team, and we saw the story, and, and we get this every year about oh, reworking their engineering and, and all that, and... I think I've come to the realization that for whatever reason, since Takuma Sato left that team, qualifying has been a mess, right? And as far as race pace, they've been very hit or miss. Right. Uh, but when Sato was there, these things did not seem to be issues week in and week out. They were competitive. They were winning races. They were perhaps, you know, kind of the best of the rest, the, the fourth, third or fourth, you know, kind of team. And at some points... You can make the argument, like in 2020, you can make the argument, yeah, they were probably the third best team. Right. So, but it, it's just been shocking to see the fall off that they've had. And and I don't know what it is. I, I mean... Oh, I know what it is. It's behind the scenes. Something's going on yes, behind the scenes. Either, yeah. either they don't have enough money to invest in really good personnel for this team. Um, is it just Bobby's um, allegiance to maybe some some people that are out of touch or over the hill or maybe have been surpassed by the next generation of engineers. And so I don't know, 
but it's just so bad. It is so bad. And now, I mean, these teams like this, they have no business at, at entering additional cars in the 500. They can't even figure it out for their yes. three, right? Yeah, that's it's, that's so, the concern. And, and this was the thing is, is Graham was good at Indy last year. And yeah, and so, he's been good. The problem with them, though, is that it's like they'll be really good one year and then the next year they'll be lost. Now, we did see in 2019 where they were good uh, also in 2020, but it's just it seems to be back and forth as far as what they can do at the 500. But it, it, Graham is too good a driver to have not won a race since 2017. And, and yeah. yes, things have to go your way, especially when you're not racing for Pinsky, Ganassi, or Andretti in the series. We, we all know that. That's just the reality of how it works. But for them and that team to just be so back and forth like we've seen last couple of years is is just shocking. It's it it's not good. I, I I'm not going to sit here and say they don't need a revamp of their driver lineup. But people pointing at maybe Alinus Lundqvist coming in replacing Jack Harvey. What's that do for you? I, I don't know how much you can put on Jack Harvey. I, you, some, but not all, because everybody's lost with with. And it seems like every weekend they're they're uh, they're playing from behind. They're playing catch up. They never come off the tr- of the truck locked in or and that's the you know? biggest thing right they they don't have s- speed straight away and I, I forget what driver said it but basically with indycar anymore you have to come off and roll off the truck right being competitive time-wise someone said that over the weekend and then it's you know so you close. make minor I mean, adjustments yeah. here and there if you're lost to start the weekend you're not making up that, that's right? a lot to come back from from and and yes i know at indy you have more time but at indy i think the more time just increases the pressure and the panic Right. And then that can lead to additional mistakes. And, you know, Graham's a good race car driver, but more often than not, he's having to drive from behind, trying to move through the field. Christian Lungard, we've had him on the podcast, competent driver and a guy that's just having to deal with inferior setups at this point. Jack Harvey, um, you can debate whether he should be in that seat or not. And I think it's a, it's a good debate to have, but how much is he held back by the team's inability to put together competent and competitive race cars off the truck weekend after weekend. So the, the, he, and he had the highest finishing place for the team in 18th. So he yeah. moved up 10 spots on the grid, three laps down though. They had no speed. The fact he was no. only three laps down just goes to show how he benefited from the waiver out. Yeah. If, as did everyone else in the back of the If pack. we're talking disappointing team so far for the season through two races. I don't think anybody has been any worse than Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan. Yeah, I think that's the, they're the biggest disappointment. I would say Hunkos is the biggest surprise. Uh, your number three. My number three. Okay. Uh, let's talk about the wave around. So th- this is something they've done for years and when there's a caution uh, cars, what, that are a, a lap down can get back on the lead lap. And they've done this for years. It is not quite like the lucky dog, is my understanding. But this was a case where guys getting the wave around actually, and I don't know if you were telling me this, but guys getting the wave around could... They could then pit and yes. still stay on the lead lap. Yes, and then the leaders you know, would have to circle back around. Right. So effectively, they're... They're not making up their lap anyway. They're just being granted that lap. Yes. Then they could still come back toward the end of the caution and top off. And we saw a lot of people do Which that. That's what we saw people do. So that's a loophole that needs to be closed because people will people will talk people that are so quick to 
throw Cup under the bus for anything. We'll talk about the lucky dog and the gimmicky things. You get the wave around in Cup, but you have to stay out. You cannot pit. So you get the wave around and you get back in the lead lap or whatever lap you you make up a lap. But if you pit, you're back down a lap. And in IndyCar, that's not a thing. And so if you want to talk lucky dogs and wave arounds and all that, it is much more gimmicky in IndyCar than Cup. And that's going to be some... I mean, when we were at two cars only on the lead lap, I'm like, well, how does this work out? And okay, caution came out. But I felt like, okay, if the, if the drivers that are lapped down want to get their lap back, they're going to have to stay out. No, they didn't have to. And then they're able to come in and top off, like you said later, and still be on the lead lap. So I don't understand that. And that's got to be something that IndyCar corrects because it's not fair. You lose a lap. Why are you being given that lap back for effectively not doing anything? And then your final takeaway, I think... Uh, uh, I think do we I talk about the pit, pit yeah, lane? Yeah, I think that's we where talk this about, is going. Do we, is that what we do? Yes. And... Um, with Kirkwood and and Rossi? This whole situation is so confusing because, one, they changed the penalty. So in real time on the broadcast, I think we all thought, wait, how is that a penalty on Rossi? Right. Kirkwood was in the far outside lane. He turns in. I mean, how is Rossi even going to know like he's there? So what was initially listed as unsafe release for a car from its pit box was changed to contact with another car. So... That just means instead of being on Rossi and his team, it's just on Rossi. So that's a change. And then Marshall Pruitt of racer.com has a really good kind of column on this. Yeah. Saying, I mean, in theory, both aren't at fault. Look, it's the Kirkwood rule. was that's following the, the rules. Right. The rule needs change. Now, whether that's as Marshall suggested, some sort of like light that indicates whether a car is pit or not, like Which they, they have Formula in, E in, in Formula E yeah. um, or just redoing how the lanes work. The fast lane is the the far outside lane, which you I get thought priority. was still a thing. Like I thought that was still, and it sounded like from the broadcast, NBC thought it was still a thing too. Yes. Slow lane, the left lane effectively is you haven't pitted yet. Fast lane and the right lane is you have pitted. Why have we gotten rid of that? It seemed like it worked pretty well, didn't it? Yeah, it it, it was very confusing in real time, and I get that more people were confused by the broadcast being confused. But this is just a case where find a way to fix this rule. Because while this is great as far as for 100 Days to Indy, great content, <laughs> um, it, it's it's an impossible situation for the drivers. I, I mean, and Rossi the, the was crew, saying... Like, how do you know? Yeah. If you're the, the right front tire changer, you're the one waving your, your driver out, how do you know if that guy in the right lane is pitted or not? You have no idea. So I, I think we need some sort of clarification. These are the things that happen and you find a way to fix the rule and, and hopefully they do that. And I don't think this is something they can really do in season. Right. I mean, the rules are the rules. The rule book is the rule. Yeah, book. I think you could make an amendment, but I, it, I guess but they always have the right to, they amend always the have the right. But the fact of the matter is who knows when the rule was changed between slow lane and fast lane and how many years we've gone without this being an incident. And maybe it's a thing where it doesn't often happen, but now you have 28 cars out there on the regular 27, 28 and 33, of course at Indy is, I just don't I don't understand why you made it so difficult because it didn't seem like a problem with slow lane, fast lane, and now it's just a cluster again. Don't change what's not broken. According to the rule book, the 27 car of Kyle Kirkwood had priority over the number seven, leaving its pit box so Rossi had greater responsibility to avoid the contact. That from the rules. It's it's all very confusing, but I think 
overall, this is something that hopefully they can fix. I mean, there's nothing you can really do after the fact, no. right? The problem, with done this, is done. the problem with this whole thing is it's one thing for us not to know the rules. We're dullards. Um, it's another thing for the NBC booth not to know the rules. And I'm not blaming NBC. I'm blaming really IndyCar. Like, you need to make sure your rules are clear. And your teams and drivers don't even know the rule. At least Rossi and Andretti didn't know the rule. Now, it sounded like Kirkwood knew the rule. It, but it, not Kirkwood Rossi. said, hey, that's not my fault, right? And yeah, like, and everybody yeah, was like, yeah, good. it is. And turns out, no, it wasn't. So the only people out of this whole equation between us, NBC booth, and Rossi's team and, and Kirkwood's team, the only ones that really understood the rule are Kirkwood's team. And is that a problem with all of us or a problem with IndyCar not making that that clear? I would think that's one of the things that when you have your driver's meeting, every oval or whatever, especially with, with, with so many cars, is, hey, remember, this is the rule in pit lane if everybody's coming in at the same time. And for Alexander Rossi at Texas, uh, this had a good car a, until that happened. Yeah, this is just another bad year. In 2020, the engine wouldn't fire. In 21, he crashed before the green flag in race two. In 22, lasted just 11 laps before a mechanical failure. And in 2023, uh, contact oh, yeah. from his former ride in pit lane, as Nathan Brown of the Indy Star points out. So just not been a good thing for him. All right, so that's a look at our takeaways. A lot of other nuggets I want to get to, though, out of Texas and out of the weekend. Kirkwood and Herta swapping strategists. Uh, Kyle Kirkwood had Brian Hurd on the radio. Colton Herta had Scott Harner. And of note, Scott Harner was with AJ Foyt Racing and, and Kyle Kirkwood before. So this is even more so puzzling that they made this move. It is. And what it sounded like from Colton Hurd over the weekend, this was not his decision. Uh, he wouldn't have changed anything. I don't know. It's, it's just that father-son dynamic sometimes. Even Brian Herta maybe came out of St. Pete. He's like, you know what? I, I need a break from my son. <laughs> you know, and we've... Every but, parent's been there, yeah, right? It, it, so, but what's weird is like Herta didn't seem... Brian Herta didn't seem to like the move either. It was just mm, kind of a... It's a so team decision. Well, who's making those decisions then? Michael? Perhaps. I know it's just something that no one seemed to really... You could all see through that it was something that no one really wanted you know, that change yeah, to be that way. But if it helps both drivers and both teams, then mission accomplished. We'll see how it goes. It's just kind of surprising when it came out and seemed like surprising to people involved as well. Speaking of Colton Herta, we had a litany of ridiculous sayings and, and apparently that uh, the reason for all these things will come. It's Colton Herta, Scott McLaughlin, and Joseph Newgarden. So they're all playing this little game, but uh, Scott McLaughlin saying faster than a sneeze through a th- screen door. <laughs> Colton Herta saying last year uh, it was so hot the hens were laying hard boiled eggs uh, slippier than a pocket full of pudding I think uh, I think Newgarden said that one and then uh, Graham saying the Twitterati coming after that was not part of the little fun quote game and then uh, socks on a rooster that was also Newgarden so I don't know you know who wins this game but it, it's very entertaining for us during the sessions because um, we thought something was up with what was being said the first race weekend. And now we know there's definitely something that's, that's being, yeah, done. that's all they're all in cahoots to do that. And even was it Colton who couldn't even keep a straight face when he was trying to say, yeah, 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 that was, uh, it was pretty funny. So, um, yeah, between the puns and then uh, soon after was, was Townsend stealing my material, my PBJ <laughs> material it was very interesting. Um, high line practice. Uh, for for IndyCar over and, the weekend. And Connor Daly doing his Danny Sullivan uh, spin. 
That was yes, pretty impressive. Very much. The avoided contact. Yeah. Uh, some wild notes here also from the race at Texas. Scott Dixon surpassed Mario Andretti for all-time top five IndyCar finishes. He finished fifth, 194 top five finishes. Not too bad, huh? Uh, this from Tony DeZeno pointing out Pato Award on mm-hmm. ovals since joining McLaren. Uh, in 2020, 12th, 4th, 12th, 6th, 3rd, and 2nd. In 2021, 3rd, 1st, 4th, and 2nd. Last year, 15th, 2nd, 2nd, 1st, and 4th, and then obviously the 2nd on Sunday. So he has become a very good oval driver. Uh, just overall, I think right. he's a, a top five driver in the series at this point. That's not a surprise. Um, 27 lead changes. Most competitive race at Texas as far as lead changes go since October 2001. That had 32. IndyCar has had a race with over 15 lane lead changes besides Indy since Pocono in August of 17, to put that mm. into perspective. So that's pretty impressive. And then um, this from Steve Wittick uh, pointing out, 482 passes for position, 200 more than last year, 300 more than the average at Texas since 2018. And uh, the lead changes most at Texas since 2001, 26 races ago. And he's saying 26 lead changes. So I'm not sure what the official number is out there for the number of lead changes. Um, But either way, really, really good race. Unfortunately, as far as how it translated to TV, we'll get to that momentarily. And then finally, Pato, or Pato Ward, Alex Pillow, another uh, podium since he joined Ganassi. Uh, nearly 43% or 15 of 35 of his races have ended with him on the podium. Not bad. He's 27 official lead 27, there you go. Based on the box score. And you mentioned TV rating, which we'll talk about. Let's talk about the crowd. It yeah. was better. Oh, a lot better. They said a double-digit increase, and I would say... One would hope, double digit percentage. Not we're yes. not talking like ten more people. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Percentage. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So a lot more people there. I think that was clear on the broadcast. It looks like you went from the what ten or twelve thousand to maybe twenty thousand. I'm not right. I would say it probably went from maybe like eight thousand, like seriously, to uh-huh. maybe low teens to me. I don't think it was twenty thousand, but. Uh, 20,000 on the high end. I mean, last year, if they had 10,000 people there, that's probably yeah, pushing I'm it. I'm saying it's, it was less. It was seven or 8,000 last year. Maybe, I would say, 13, 14 this year, maybe. Either maybe way, positive momentum. Increase, yeah. and, and again, for as low as this race got attendance-wise last year, you can't Couldn't blame people for, for not showing up because the product was not good. But now, last year, the product was good. This year, I think everyone agrees it was excellent. You hope that translates into more ticket sales. And and look, they tried everything they could to make this a family-friendly event. We expect it to be back next year because of the multi-year deal uh, with Penske Entertainment. But this is progress. You just hope that you get more people, you know, word of mouth. And and I saw a lot of theories as far as why Texas fell off over the years. And look, the track reconfiguration was that after 2017. They never did totally refigure it. But they did change the, the turns a little bit. Yeah. Um, PJ one obviously impacted yeah. IndyCar a ton in recent years. And then someone uh, pointing out, you know, Texas motor speedway when it was built in 1997, I mean, it was a huge deal. They right. had two IndyCar races. They had a cup race. You had to have season tickets to, to get yeah. the cup race. And then they went down to one IndyCar race. And, and apparently they tried to do, keep that second IndyCar race and have it on the cup weekend in 2005, I believe. And that didn't work. So they. This is an event that was a really big deal, 
when the track opened, just the novelty of it for, I mean, you could say about the first like 10 years or so. And then it's really started to fade after that. Uh, Ironically, when Texas noticeably started to fade attendance wise, it was when reunification happened. Yeah. And the problem with it is you had such exciting, crazy racing at Texas from the jump with the old IRL that anything less than the old Texas was a disappointment, right? But drivers didn't want old Texas. They still don't want old Texas, but they want some blend of what we've seen at Texas in the past with maybe the ability to not just sit and pack racing and go around for, for 200 laps or whatever. So, or 150 laps. So I think um, it was a step forward in the right direction. I think the biggest thing for Texas going forward and Nathan Brown wrote about this at the Indy, with the Indy star is not necessarily IndyCar because they seem to have a formula somewhat figured out, but what does cup do after their one race in September at Texas is depending on how that races, Texas Motor Speedway will adjust what they do, maybe a reconfiguration or whatever based on what NASCAR wants. Because, like it or not, NASCAR pays the bills, or at least the majority of the bills, for Texas Motor Speedway. And one other note I, I want to get to as far as the future for IndyCar at Texas. Unfortunately, we can't just go from this year to next year and kind of keep it the same because... The aero screen is going to be about 20 pounds lighter, and then you're going to throw in the hybrid unit. Right. So you're going to have to working in to make sure you get everything just right again because the cars will be different. I mean, that's the positive and the negative of, of changing stuff and having changes year after year. We've had, what, last year, now this year, were relatively no changes. Yes. But now bringing changes back into the fold, you can't just compare year over year, and, and hopefully the testing... They'll do extensive testing there to make sure they get That's this what I'm right saying. once again. I, I would love for them to have, similar to what they have at Thermal, a full day for everybody at Texas yes. as part of before the season starts. So TV think, rating, not great. Uh, on terrible. NBC, 830,000 viewers. What's weird is this was like the overnight, and I never saw a final as far as, and I never saw anything as far as Peacock numbers. So Probably weren't good. So probably, yeah. Probably not good enough, but... Down from 954,000 last year. And the big negative is last year they competed, you know, during March Madness going on here in the States. So there was no March Madness competition. Well, the, the women's game. Hell a lot of people are watching the women's game. But that was after IndyCar. That was after, true. So unfortunately for IndyCar, there's really no excuse. There wasn't really anything competing with them on at the same time. Richmond, I don't think, started till later. So IndyCar, unfortunately, unable to get a good TV rating out of it. But when you think, look elsewhere, I mean, NASCAR was on FS1 compared to Fox for Richmond, so there's not really an accurate com- yeah, comparison Yeah, I know people there. were talking about, what, down 40-some percent, but yeah. you can't compare them because it's apples and oranges. And then ESPN, as far as for F1, down slightly from last year. Oddly, like, qualifying got a better... Really? Got more viewers than, than the race because it started a little bit earlier. I watched qualifying. Did you? Um, because I was up after the, the storms we had here and couldn't go to sleep. So I watched most of qualifying late Friday night uh, into Saturday morning, but obviously watched the race on DVR Sunday morning. I think it would be more of a concern. I mean, it is a concern, legitimate concern, two races and down both first two races. But by and large, Cup has been down every race this year so far. And I want to say Formula One has been down yes, every race so. so far. So um, that's been the frustrating thing, I think, across motorsport is everybody's down, not just IndyCar. I think it'd be 
it'd be more concerning if we were sitting here talking about cup being up and formula one being up and indycar down but misery loves company and right now all three are down so that's a look at our recap from texas if you agree or disagree with any of our comments uh, we'd love for you to interact with us you can find us at newtrackrecordpodcast.com while you're there sign up for the email list you can subscribe for free you'll never miss an episode or any special announcements also check out the store on the website we have stickers and t-shirts for sale get a sticker for your car or your laptop case or your laptop or your cooler or just whatever you know give it as a gift or get a shirt and represent on race weekend as we've seen some of you do uh, over the years here and you can interact with us on social media indycar podcast is the twitter handle the instagram handle on facebook just search for new track record email address new track record podcast at gmail.com you can support us via patreon patreon.com slash new track record thanks to xavier rob stitch and so many others for your support each and every month for the podcast again starts as just as little as one dollar a month to support us on there And you can follow and listen to us for free on your favorite podcasting platform, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, Podbean, wherever you find your podcasts. Again, all for free. Mailbag time. And of naturally, we have a ton to get to. And, you know, I I tease Green White Checker. We'll get to that. Yeah, this will be fun. In here. So, (laughs) so much to dive into. And we'll start with i think something fun so the best quote during qualifying you had socks on a rooster sneeze through a screen door hens laying hard-boiled eggs <laughs> and the twitterati so yes that uh, was, to, a, it was tribute, during the race the twitterati uh, uh graham ray hall was twitterati hens hard-boiled eggs was colton hurt sneeze through a screen door i believe was scott mclaughlin and then socks on a rooster was joseph newgarden so on the poll socks on a rooster 38 percent twitterati nearly 24 percent nearly 20 percent for sneeze through a screen door 18% for hens laying hard-boiled eggs. And a few replies, uh, Jeff Zerneski, Colton alluded to the reason for these funny quotes on Speed Street. It will be interesting to hear that around Indy, so maybe we'll get, that's a bit of a teaser for that there. Uh, I am analog, no love for slippier than a pocket full of pudding. Yeah, that, that gets honorable mention. <laughs> yeah. Rob uh, Kennedy also saying pudding in pocket. Uh, Transocean Trojan, the least cringe option. Poach Shevchenko, Ray Hall should have said podcast mafia to make it extra clear. <laughs> Jeremy from HBG, his Twitter mentions should make for a good pod. <laughs> yeah, um, unfortunately for for Graham, I think it's warranted the Twitter hate at least up to a point. I mean that but team I don't, sucks. I don't think it was so much him; it was more so the team. Yes, right, definitely. I, I, I don't think, think you should be hating on Graham Ray. I think you should be hating on Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan as an entity for being unprepared to start a race weekend. It. It was shocking to see. And someone else saying, uh, MSMD1, what about lick the red off your candy? That also, I think, was from Newgarden. That one, he, he slipped it in and snuck it in, and I didn't even catch it. Yeah, me neither. Um, let's see. Other notes. Let's see. Uh, this from Daguerre. If Felix Rosenquist continues to perform like this, this is, again, after he won the poll, to be clear, the timing. It'll be difficult for Aaron McLaren to motivate getting rid of him and signing Alex Pillow. Expansion of four cars doesn't make any sense since you don't get any any leader circle money for that. Yeah, that's... uh, And then, so what if there's no room for Alex Pillow Aaron McLaren? Then it starts getting really spicy. That is something we're going to watch. Now, IndyCar Deep Throat telling me the other day that, you know, look for the Pillow to McLaren thing to be officially announced around Indy. But yeah, if Felix Rosenquist and what they do with that, that is is an interesting thing to keep in mind. 
Well, when you look at that team, you know, of course, Rossi's locked in. Um, Pato's locked in. Pato's locked in. And then that Felix thing. But you've already signed Polo. I mean, I guess maybe not officially, but that's not going away, I don't think. Lord knows it wouldn't because it's created so much issues. <laughs> but um, I don't know if they go to four, but I also think that maybe Felix Rosenquist is driving for an opportunity somewhere as much as anything. Is but yeah, if he continues to put together a successful season, um, which has been pretty solid, um, then maybe. But the fact of the matter is, he's had two subpar results as well. Does he go back to Ganassi if he gets a? I don't know because seat? is his right now his uh, mo at least for the opinion of the paddock a guy who can have good weekends here or there, but can't finish. Can't close. He's become a solid qualifier. Mm-hmm. Able it, to get some polls, what, four career polls. But as far as race, race wins, it's been hit or miss. Yes. And that's the thing. It's like, okay, so who's what, 19th, 18th, 19th, 20th at St. Pete? Uh, he was, let's see, Felix Rosenquist was 19th at St. Pete. And then... 26th at Texas. Yeah, so I don't care about your 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 uh, your poll. And I know some of it goes, whether it's him or not, or being caught up, whatever. Fact of the matter is, the results aren't there. And is it more likely he stays in IndyCar next year, or McLaren ships him off to like their Formula E team? I think the latter at this point. Unless there's a market for Felix Rosenquist out there, and I don't know if there's a good enough market for teams that are, that are solid enough to then turn down to stay with McLaren, if you're Felix. Because I'm sure... If he, if Felix is a good soldier this year and doesn't ruffle feathers, has some good results, maybe gets a win, maybe two wins, something like that, uh, it, McLaren's going to want to keep him in the fold to have him, whether something pops up or, you know. And he can still do a one-off at Indy. Yeah, he can still do a one-off at Indy and all that. So I, that's what I kind of think is, is what's going to happen with Felix unless a, a Penske or Ganassi or, or Andretti or somebody um, comes out of nowhere and offers him a job. But right now, I just don't see people lining up right now for Felix. Elsewhere, rate the race. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen so many responses for a rate the race. So that that's a positive sign. People have a lot of good things to say. How would you rate the race? Uh, I had eight and a half. Really? Mm-hmm. Explain yourself. Or we're going to talk about green white checkered here in a little bit. Okay. <laughs> so that's why. <laughs> no, I think that the mid the middle of the race. Yes, it was still exciting, but there was still only two two drivers on the lead lap. At one point, there, there are two cars that are even in in the yes, same in zip contention. Code. Yes, the the racing was quote unquote good, but there were still just two t- two two drivers in the lead lap, running away from it. And um, I, I know the the final fifty or sixty laps were good. I could have done without a couple of the cautions late. I think it really took away from those those. You know, when we had eight to ten to twelve laps of of green, that was exciting. But imagine what it could have been if it was a clean 40, 50 laps straight through. Yes, I'll give you that. Um, I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna go the opposite direction. I'm gonna go nine point nine. I can't give it a ten because, I mean, it didn't finish under green. But everything else that we saw, especially at the end, the the first twenty laps of this race were a frenzy. The last, yep. as you said, fifty to sixty laps. You know, after that, uh, clean up for what Rosenquist. Uh, that was exciting as well. And then. Did we ever see what happened at the end with Grosjean? Did he just lose it? Did he have contact with somebody? You, you know, I watched video and 
there was one clip that I saw where I thought, oh, he just he just got caught in dirty air. But then there was another clip I saw that looked like he touched tires with, I can't remember who it would have been. Would have been uh, Lucas, Malukas, I think. Yeah, yeah. So That's what I thought. I I don't know if there was contact or not. Um, the the way. It's in the box score. It just says contact car 28 and turn two. Now, that's not going to say whether he no. hit someone else, but that's the official rule. Credit to Malukas. We haven't mentioned him yeah. so oh, far. Excellent great, race. great run for him. There, there were guys. Did you know? I didn't even know. Elio Castroneves finished in 10th. Now, he's a lap down, but <laughs> yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, no because idea. Because he was nowhere in the fray. <laughs> we're talking about Felix Rosenquist not being able to close. Romain Grosjean can't close. Yeah. It and, was an exciting race, but man, you got to finish these, right? Yeah, I, I don't know That's you're two talking races about, in a row where correct. you had sure podiums and, and instead you get mid-pack and, and back of the pack. That's why Edie's won't be in contention for the championship. That's why his team won't be in contention for the championship. You're not taking advantage of the opportunities you have and maximizing them. And none of these teams outside of Penske or Granassi are consistent enough to where they're going to show up for all 17 races and be locked in. And when you have a car that's locked in, like Grosjean did at St. Pete, like Pato did at Texas, you have, have, have to maximize that. For Pato, needed to win this race. And for Grosjean, needed at least one podium, maybe two. Didn't get either. So, rate the race and all the responses. Uh, D. Bishop, 1987, gave an, an 11. The voice Bobby C., aside from the Phoenix doing Phoenix things and spoiling the final two laps, tremendous showing overall. It's a nine for me. Would have loved to see Dixon and McLaughlin mix it up at the end. Other uh, rate the race replies on the thread. We have a lot. Dudes FX, nine out of ten. Would have been ten out of ten if we had a green flag finish. I think there's going to be a lot of those comments. Uh, ben Payne underscore Cam gave it an 11. Hazelnuts, uh, easy, ten out of ten. Elsewhere, Firehawk 89 gave it a nine. Daniel SEM 2004, 9.5. Grosjean ruining a potential last lap pass for the win drops it from a 10. Ooh, Grosjean fan there, huh? <laughs> Bill Hessa, 9.9. Would be 10 if we had a green finish. I hope people watch because this is the most exciting series going. Uh, Nichardson Roa, easiest 10 of my life. <laughs> Plan Spades, 10 out of 10. Literal perfection. P. Gaynor, 14. 10. Glad Texas is fully back. Him <laughs> Vanny, 11. That was racing. Texas is back. And you folks have low expectations for 10 out of 10. What'd you rate it? Nine? 9.9. 9. 9. 9.9? Yeah. You're crazy. Uh, Zach C8771, 9.5. If Grosjean hadn't crashed and Pato managed the last lap overtake, it's probably a 10. This race, but last night's Formula One to shame. When oval racing is like this, there's not much better. Exactly what Texas needed going forward. R. Cole says, what a great race. Hopefully the ratings are decent. Well, unfortunately nope. they weren't. This is the kind of race that helps build fan bases. Solid 9.5. Hashtag more ovals. Hashtag bring back MIS. Yes, bring back MIS. I, I don't agree. think you need more ovals. I just think you need to make sure your existing ovals are that exciting. True. Heil Heil Mike uh, gave it a 10 as usual. Uh, Phil underscore Barksdale, 9 because the empty seats bummed me out. NK Harden, 9.5. If it stays green, it's a 12. Texas is all the way back. Jamin T14 gave it a 9. Vicky Lynn, 26. 10. Last year's race was good, but this was awesome. Awesome in all caps. It was like Texas of the old days. So, so good. BK Hickey, I'd rate it amazing. Feel free to sign your own number. So I'm just going to assume that's a 10. Uh, in Captain 185, 9.999. If Grosjean doesn't crash, it's a 10. Texas isn't going anywhere. Aside from the 500, this is arguably the most exciting race of the year. Uh, if the racing product is good, yes. Yeah, consistently. 
Uh, big underscore Nick's K12 10. It was one of those classic oval races that fans clamor for. Had a great long green flag period, great restarts, and most of all, an exciting but controversial finish. Uh, I am analog 120 beats per minute for my heart. 10 for me, though, probably the most entertaining oval I've seen so far. Malukas was a beast, too. Hunter's Way 67, 9. Killer race, epic fight to the end. More super speedways, please. Transocean Trojan, 9 out of 10. Hate when most of the field gets lapped, but racing at the front was top-notch. Poet Shevchenko, 10. That doesn't need a second thought. Uh, and Jeremy from HBG said the numbers all go to 11. So that is a look of a very full rate the race uh, for this week. And if Everybody I find any more, happy. I will um, pass them along as we continue here. But your uh, your rating is very specific on one thing, and I think <laughs> that ties into... The next thing we had yeah. in the mailbag for this Which week. Which blew up when you put this poll up. Yes. Uh, a lot of people <laughs> caught on to this one as far as the poll goes. So let me make sure I I got to everyone on this. Oh, and this from Poet Shevchenko. Major kudos to both the drivers and race control for nailing the start and restarts. Competitive but no pileup. Ironically, something that F1 couldn't avoid. I thought with 28 cars, and it was a really good start, that it was going to be difficult to get... Uh, through the first couple laps without something happening, but kudos to IndyCar yes. drivers for making that happen. Yes, I not think being, all it takes is one crazy right to try to make something happen early that can create that could take four, five, six cars out. We saw it, of course, the same Pete. Yes. Okay. So now it is time for everyone's uh, favorite thing, and that is screen white checker. So I posted the Twitter poll incredible number of votes i don't think i've ever seen this many votes Seventeen thousand no, votes not oh, that no. many okay. 320 Sorry. but still a lot of votes so thanks everyone for voting uh but should any car do green white checkered finishes for oval races i was very specific uh-huh. for that uh 94.7 said no 5.3 said yes and naturally we have a ton of responses on this one because i think it's very controversial uh john hendrix three says absolutely not PNW IndyCar fan, no. The the meme of Steve Carell from The Office yelling. Um, Racer Mac RTP one. Although no on this as often as people vote in Illinois elections. <laughs> That's funny. Nick underscore booth fifty can absolutely not be an option. Um, well, no because we, we gave you the options. Other replies for this uh, Hickey ninety three Matt Hickey woke up feeling spicy. A eh? yes, we're always <laughs> feeling spicy. Yes. Uh, N.K. Harden, who voted yes? We need names. Um, well, Justin. I raised my hand. <laughs> Justin, you were bold. <laughs> and you faced some vitriol on Twitter. Yeah. A night uh, underscore 210. Even bringing this idea up is a big no. FitJ1983, show me data where green white checker substantially improves ratings and attendance, and I will vote yes. F1 is now splitting the key demo in the U.S. despite NASCAR's attempts to win the demo with gimmicks. Thompson419, I would like a 1 billion times no option. Uh, Nerd of all trades. I think that's how you say that. Uh, nobody liked that. <laughs> R Critic 20. No. However, I'm okay with them using the red flag on occasion if it's a big cleanup and there's, say, five to ten laps remaining. And Marcus Erickson agrees with yeah. a, a laughing emoji. But no, IndyCar does not need green-white checker. Leave that to NASCAR. M. Vaney says, go watch NASCAR for that. The race inning was fine and compelling. Lead the race every chance you get because the end may not work out exactly uh, how you plan. Yeah, Tony Kanaan can point to that as he... He's had to go both ways for him at the Indy right. 500. Um, Eastside Troy, uh, the meme from Parks and Rec, the worst. 
if, mm-hmm. if you know what I'm talking about. Jeremy from HBG says no. Poach Shevchenko, F1 did a green white checker on the same day and only left fans confused and team owners angry at the wreck cars. They never did go green white checker. It was kind well, of well, the second end, one. Yeah. yeah, that was so confusing. That was odd. Hey, I did not understand. My that. big thing though is if these are the best drivers in the world, they should be able to hand them themselves. And that goes across all racing disciplines including formula one if you want to say that these guys are the best drivers in the world then they should be able to handle a at that point was it a standing start they did both standing starts right? yes the last the only the the final one was a rolling start but if these are the best drivers in the world they should be able to handle themselves is my big thing um but what do you have any other responses to this i think that covered all of them there were so many <laughs> Um, majority saying no we have more comments on ratings we have a very full mailbag this week so but i think yes that does cover everything as far as those responses to that but here's my thing with green white check for indycar one the team owners aren't going to go for it because of the added cost just fear of carnage i get that penske's not going to go for it he's ahead of the series for the essentially the same reason and just it's it is a bit gimmicky. I think the other thing with a green white checker finish is IndyCar, like when it goes to the cost thing, it's not just that they can't do it for a race like Texas or Indy. It's that these teams, and I get that the series is in better health than it's been, say, even five years ago. But these teams, like money is it goes somewhere, right? And they can't afford to do this at all the oval races would you rather have any car have a, a more full schedule or to do green white checker finishes because I, I don't think you could do both true uh here's here's my thought i'm not necessarily for green white checkers per se i don't want to see them trying multiple times to try to finish a race i could yes. see one time trying to finish a race um under green because everybody felt a little cheated when grosjean crashed Yes. You're like, damn it. Like, because that was going to be a crazy final couple laps. Yes. We we knew they would have been side by side. Yes. And whoever won, you know, those next, what, two laps two that laps. they had left, it, it would have been probably Insane. at the finish line. And when you're trying to make an impression with a fan base that is still stagnant by and large, and, and you're trying to get people in your butts in the seats at Texas and other ovals, is you put on the best possible show you possibly can and not ending that race under green hurt that now here's my option here's here's something i would like to see it's not green white checker per se but like somebody mentioned it about red flags there's because i don't like the fact that it's basically in the rule book is there's no firm thing about red flags sometimes yeah, they the throw them sometimes they don't right it's at the, the discretion of the steward or, or the series or whatever there should be a rule that Within, I say, what would be a good number, depends on the track, but maybe seven laps, six or seven laps. Within six or seven laps of a finish, if there's a caution that comes out, the red immediately comes out as well. And you freeze the field, and you come into pit lane, and you clean up whatever's happened, even if it's a minor thing. Clean it up, sweep around the around the oval, right? Get the marvels gone, make it as fresh of a track as possible, and then you go back to green. You only get one chance at it. So if there's a red flag with six to go at the Indianapolis 500 and then another red flag com- or another caution comes out with two to go you don't red flag it again you have one red flag to use um but i feel and it can go at indy texas milwaukee 
Iowa, wherever, within, I say 10 laps, maybe a little bit too much. So maybe like six or seven laps. Within six or seven laps, if a caution comes out, immediately the red flag is thrown and they sit, you clean up the mess, you clean off the marbles, you make it a, the track is as pristine as possible for the final five laps or so for the race. I'm surprised they didn't red flag it after the Graham Ray Hall, Devlin D. Francesco crash because they had 15 laps run under caution. And, and I texted there. you too because I was watching late. I was like, this caution's taking way too long. Yes. And, and you of, knew it would take forever. Yes. And how the racing was, you were taking away outstanding green flag racing uh, for that wreck. And, and, and I understand that's the thing is we had Formula One that is seemingly incapable of cleaning up anything without red flagging the race at Australia on over the weekend. And then IndyCar that just takes so long. And I, and it's like, I understand there was a lot to clean up, but at the same time you're taking things away. You need to red flag that race. And I understand why it wasn't red flag late because you are on the next last lap. You were coming to the white basically. So there really wasn't much time to red flag it then. Um, you still could and just made it a one lap shootout, but I would really like to see a hard and fast rule. Everybody understands it. It's automatic is within six or seven laps of a finish of an oval race. If a caution comes out, the race is immediately red flagged. Another thing about green, white checker for IndyCar and why I'm against it. Well, just the results of that poll, right? IndyCar is not in a position of strength where they can, go against the wishes of their diehard fans just because, you know, to do something different. I, I don't know if that's, I'm not saying people are going to stop watching, but that's a big risk to take when it seems a strong majority of fans are against green, white checker finishes for a D car. Yeah. That, that's a, that's a risky road to go down. Right. So that, that I don't know. That's my thoughts on that. Do you have anything else? That, that's, no, I think, that's I mean, I, I know people, a green, white checkered, it's like sacrilege to say that. Right. And I totally get it. And I'm not saying try it, try it, try it again. I'm just saying there has to be something to give us at least an effort to a more satisfying ending than what we see there. Because you have limited opportunities to really draw people in. And we all deflated, collectively deflated when the caution came out. Because damn it, we could have had a crazy great ending to that race under green and we were taken away. I would just love to see something that says immediately that that race is, is red flagged and maybe it was too short to do at Texas probably, but other races too, you need to make a concerted effort to try and finish under green and make it as exciting as possible for the people that are there because outside of Indy, there's not a lot of people there. Yeah. That's how you get fans. That's how you get people to come back. That's how you get people to give it an opportunity because um, if, if you have one of the closest finishes in IndyCar history, imagine the marketing that Texas Motor Speedway could use to then promote next year's race. And again, it's the balance between entertainment and competition, right? Yes. And you have to sometimes delve into that in, uh, entertainment factor. I know people want to do it because it's not quote unquote pure racing, but it's also something you have to, you have to do. You have to entertain. If you're willing to try new things and try to get a different uh, demographic or different people interested in it. Sometimes you have to be gimmicky a little bit. And I'm not saying green, white checkered's the answer, but you have to do something to at least give every possible opportunity to try to finish a really competitive oval race under green. Meanwhile, you, you posted this talking about how Will Powers, the MVP for IndyCar at Texas, as far as his suggestion last year to do that kind of high line lane practice and, and build up rubber. 
Uh, some responses on that. Hunter's Way 67 says, credit where credit is due. The series nailed the downforce package as well. Yeah, they, they finally figured it out, right? And, and I think it's going to save this event, at yes. least in the short term. I think that's positive. P. Gaynor 14 saying, PJ1 looked a bit faded in lane two, not above it though. Downforce also helped in making yesterday's show a success. Again, the resin compared to the PJ1, well, not great, I think helped quite a bit. And, not and as I, slippery, I would yes. say. So I think there was some progress there. Um, How many races do you feel, because people now are clamoring for more ovals, which is kind of putting the cart above, uh, before the horse. Mm-hmm. I feel like you need multiple races like that to have anybody else be interested. And you need it to turn a profit. Yes. And uh, so... Here's the thing is the most exciting race in the world. We saw it at what? 2015 Fontana. Most exciting race in the world. Doesn't matter if you have nobody watching. Yeah. There were all of two or 3000 people there because it was in what? Late June. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Nobody's Southern California where you're roasting in the sun. I I mean, in the middle of the afternoon on, on a Saturday, right? That was a Saturday race instead of a Sunday race. Here's the thing. If, if, if we had a processional race, and there was one lead change or zero lead changes, and there were 90,000 people at Texas last weekend, then other racetracks will be clamoring for an IndyCar race. The, the Other tracks aren't clamoring for IndyCar races because of the excitement. They're clamoring it if there's value, financial value to it. So just because the IndyCar put on a great show at Texas doesn't all of a sudden mean other ovals are all of a sudden more interested in IndyCar. They still need butts in the seats. There were more butts in the seats for Texas this year than last year. But still not enough that a, a Michigan, for example, is going to look at Sunday going, oh, yeah, we got to talk to IndyCar and get a race. Yeah, there's not enough fans. So there's there. nobody there. There's still nobody there. So that's the thing is, look, if you want IndyCar to have more ovals, then you need races like Texas coupled with asses in the seats more. And they're getting there, I, I think. I at think. least at Texas, but reciprocating. It, or do we see a significant fall off at Iowa? Do we see it still go downhill at Gateway, I mean that's those kind are of the, the real concern. Yeah, those are the, the the give and take here. So maybe it always seems to go this way for IndyCar. They can't have all of their ovals on the upswing, right? So if we're saying Texas no. on the upswing, then Gateway's kind of on the down slide, right? Well, and I think a lot of people. I think I've said this. I think my fear is Gateway attendance will continue to fall off because Cup has come in, mm-hmm. and then they'll just replace Gateway with Milwaukee, and then it won't yep. really feel like a win, yeah. right? You, you, you just lose a, a good Midwest market. To add another one one. that has failed before. Yes. And you hope works out, but eventually fades. Like the excitement for Milwaukee, is that still there if it's on the schedule next year going into 2028 if it's not good racing? No, it'll fall off and then we'll replace it with something else. Uh, This from Fantasy Bosco, what a Twitter handle. I had no idea Will was behind this talking about the, the special practice session. Hey, NASCAR, forget your tire dragon, bring back practice and do this. Yeah, NASCAR not doing practice is still a puzzle. Yeah, isn't that weird? I mean, I think it helps the show, the unpredictability of it, but just kind of weird. Kind of weird. Maybe owners like it better. They don't have to get there as early. I don't know. But it is something I didn't really think about. They're still not practicing. Uh, This from NK Hard. New top speed for RLL team this weekend. Video below, and it's Catherine Legg pulling out of the pits for her test on Monday. Uh, She tested with Linus Lundquist. Um. Yeah, it was that kind of weekend for RLL. Yeah. I don't know what else to say. It was, it was bad. It was not great. It not was very bad. Um, as far as TV ratings go, some replies on here. This from run underscore mark underscore run on Twitter. So racing viewership is down in general. 
surprising with the crowds at IMSA and F1 lately. Yeah, I, I would say it's surprising. Chris in the six, I bought a gray market Peacock account, used a VPN to stream the race, and they still dropped in numbers. Well, Peacock's not included in that rating. Correct. And those numbers. And we never saw a streaming release as far as total audience Nope, which delivery. means it wasn't good. Transocean Trojan, NASCAR down 42%, IndyCar down 13%, F1 down like 3%. Yeah, it. I'm not. I'm not factoring in the NASCAR one because it went from Fox to FS1. Correct, but so beyond that, fair. it's it, it's not great. And then more thoughts on ratings. Arcole, which is why I'm not even that upset with the IndyCar ratings as far as motorsports ratings being down. Seems to be an industry wide issue. Even the XFL is lower than their previous season. Hunter's Way 67 Cup is looking the worst for sure. Not gonna lie, I love it. Yes. <laughs> There's always haters for Cup among <laughs> IndyCar fans. It's just reality of the situation and this from Arkel. I made better life decisions, but not many more than buying driven on Blu-ray. <laughs> I saw that. That's awesome. It didn't have a price tag on there, but if you paid any amount of money, <laughs> it was too probably much. too much. It was paid too much. <laughs> <laughs> so that wraps up a very busy mailbag for this week on to news and notes. And I just mentioned, uh, Linus Lundquist, Catherine leg. They tested at Texas motor speedway. Catherine Legg will be part of the IMS Open Test coming up later this month. Linus Lundquist, nothing lined up, at least in IndyCar, but uh, according to Feeder Series Americas, he will join Avalanche Andretti Formula E for the rookie test in Berlin later this month, so congrats to him. Hopefully he can slot into an Indy 500 ride as uh, Bobby kind of had a quote in one of the stories, I think, on Racer, talking about, you know, this is a good test for him, maybe can set up a team in need of a driver for the Indy 500, so who knows? Speaking of the Indy 500. He needs to find new engineers for the 500, not new yeah, drivers. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Trackside Online had an interesting thing. Now, one of these teams we knew about. Townsend Bell alluded to, what, 34 entries on Peacock over the weekend, which was confusing because we're at right. 33. Now, we do know that we've seen Racer.com report that Able Motorsports has everything ready um, as far as putting together an entry. Yeah, And then it comes down to Foy adding a third car. Uh, we know Coin Camp because Honda's booked, so it's got to be a Chevy entry. And then perhaps some version of Peretta. So we there's a chance of having 35 entries. Uh, subscribe to Trackside Online as far as if you want the full details on things like that. But just a teaser, 35 is possible. Slim, yes, but yeah. possible. But need to figure it out quickly. It's April, what, 6th yes. today? I mean, you're running out of time. And so I, if, I think... If you can announce by Long Beach, it's probably yeah, not Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would agree at this point. You know, Able Motorsports, we talked about it earlier in the podcast about taking that progression. I just don't know if scrambling and being a late add to a field that you may not even make is the best decision for Able Motorsports in terms of their long-term plan. I think you put together a more concerted effort for next year. Make sure maybe you're partnered with a team, a good team, and maybe have some... You have to make sure you're at the the test, right, which is towards the end of this month? Yes, I think it's April, what, 20th and 21st? Ooh, that, so that's like two weeks away from yeah. right now. Like You have to have your crap together by Long Beach, you said, because you have to imagine in a perfect world, you're at the open test. I don't think it it makes sense to be an extra entry that you could potentially be bumped and not be at that test. You're already starting from back from the eight ball anyway, even before that test. So 
I think it's really important. I just don't see the value for Able Motorsports to rush things. I think they just need to take their time, make things, uh, do the prog- you know, progression system, don't rush everything, and, uh, and make it happen maybe next year and beyond. Elsewhere in news and notes, Will Power Team Pinsky reached a new multi-year agreement. So congrats to him as uh, this is a deal for 24 and 25 both parties considering 2026 as an option, according to Motorsport. So Verizon extended, go figure. Then Will Power also uh, gets re-upped with Penske so he can finish out his career, one would think. 2025, he'll be 44. So to put that in perspective, that that could be the, kind of the end of the full-time run for Will Power in IndyCar, but uh, he's got that locked up. Also, Team Penske extended their partnership with PPG. No surprise there. They've been with that team forever. Meanwhile, Marcus Erickson waiting on a contract offer from Ganassi. So that's interesting. Uh, IndyCar and NBC, there's uh, an article on that. Pato Awards ticket offer. So yeah, that sweet deal that we saw profiled with 400 tickets, and I think that basically sold out or came close to it. He also did a deal on his website, or if you bought anything, uh, you know, as as little as a sticker or a shirt, you'd get a, a free grandstand ticket. 600 free tickets. So IndyCar needs to leverage that at other tracks. Because that was that was quite something as far as what he he had a huge contingent of fans, like thousands of fans. Yeah, and I get that that's essentially his home race, but that was a, a good kind of case study in ways to get people to the track and promotion. Yeah, and I think I'd like to see it next year is make it more of a thing for multiple drivers yes. in different portions of the crowd and do it like Formula One where you have the the Mac section, right, and the Ferrari section and stuff like that. So I think it'd be really cool to try to promote that next year. Uh, meanwhile, Alexander Rossi will be at the White House coming up next week on Monday for the annual Easter egg roll. He'll be the really? representative with IndyCar. There are a lot of professional sports organizations there. Gotcha. But Rossi will be a part of it for IndyCar, so that's really cool. They get to be a part of that. Tickets on sale for the Honda Indy Toronto. So hondaindy.com slash tickets. That's where you get details there for that. Elsewhere in IndyCar. uh, Let's see. What are we forgetting here? So this is interesting. Charlie Kimball talking about the pit lane incident said Uh um, the limited steering rack. This is on his Twitter at Texas. The stagger and crossweight in the car. You have to turn from the high speed lane to have any chance of being aligned in your pit box, mm. which I believe is why it isn't mandated from IndyCar, that replying to a thread that by Nathan makes Brown. makes sense, I guess. So which, that, in, in layman's terms, basically, you can't jerk the steering wheel over hard enough uh, to basically get in from the, sh- from the, the slow lane, lane yes. into your pit box, unless you're going to roll through other people's pit boxes, which is obviously yes. not allowed. I think that's one of the factors. Hey, did you see this? So Skip Barber and their Formula Race Series... Jackson Bell swept the weekend at Road Atlanta, and guess who came in second? Uh, is it Sebastian? Yes, Sebastian Weldon. So, uh, so two very familiar familiar names: Jackson Bell, son of Townsend Bell, uh-huh. and then uh, Sebastian Weldon um, coming home in second both races. So they're top two in the series, the Skip Barber Formula Race Series. So uh, again, just really really cool stuff, and hopefully we see them make their way to IndyCar someday as Jackson Bell had his first pole, first win. How old uh, are they? I mean, could they be in the road? I mean, well, I guess we're not calling it road to Indy anymore, but could they be in the road to Indy within next year? I don't think that's soon. Year after? Uh, are they, what, 12 years old, 11 or 12? I think they're a little bit older than that. 
er, early teens, but I, really? I think we're looking at a couple years away. Really? I, I thought you had like down in USF or what's the... Like what, 15, like I think 14, might 15? be. 15, okay. I'm, I'm not 100%, but yeah, I'd be surprised gotcha. if it's a lot sooner than that. And then uh, condolences to AJ Foyt, AJ Foyt Racing, and everyone associated there. Lucy Foyt uh, passed away earlier this week after a brief illness. Uh, the longtime wife of AJ Foyt, uh, nearly 68 years. They were married. She was 84 years old. Uh, tough to see, but uh, you know, lived a full life, lived a long life. Probably lived a stressful life as well, being with Super Techs for so long. It takes a special type of of woman, a person to go through the rigors of uh, motorsports, being a, a married to somebody in motorsports, particularly in the era that AJ raced in, and people dying and being gravely injured seemingly race after race year yes. after year and that can be especially tough on spouses and families and kudos to her for for hanging in there year after year decade after decade and uh tough to see her uh, pass away but a full life for lucy but she'll be missed particularly within the Foyt family definitely time for tweets of the week a couple of dig- to get to uh the first one from scott mclaughlin uh, someone said to him, when are you coming back to real racing, i.e. supercars? He said, LOL, did you see the IndyCar race today? <laughs> you know, not everyone's cup of tea, I guess. And then guess. Indy 44 uh, posted this, and it's a photo of the start at Texas, but from Nickelback, you know, in the song photograph, yeah. you know, how it starts holding the photograph. So look at this photograph. Great start, and they didn't crash. It was yeah, you're all going to have together, this song right? stuck in your head. You're welcome. Yes, it was a perfect start. Yes. Absolutely perfect start. So that is this week's tweets of the week. And now time for our random split error driver of the week. All right. So we're going to the fertile ground that is 1999 and the IRL series. And I had my guy and then, find, oh, I, I found him. So we're going with Team Cheever. Ooh. And it was before they were, what, Red Bull Team Cheever? Yeah, is Red that what Bull would have come, I think... Two years later? Around 99? I think that sounds right. So 2001 or two. So they, so I remember the in 2002, they had Schechter as a rookie, Alex Barron, and Eddie Cheever as far as it was, Red It Bull. was 2003. 2003. Okay. So yeah, when Infinity left. 2003 then would have been yeah. the um, first year. But anyway, 99. Anyway, yeah. So Cheever. in 99... And we're going with Wim Ekmans. Who? Wim Ekmans from Herentals, Belgium. Uh, started karting in 1986, been in prototype racing since 2003. Um, was actually two years, excuse me, one year, three races in Indy Lights in 1998 with Brian Stewart Racing. And then in 1999, qualified for the Indianapolis 500. Finished 23rd at the Indianapolis 500 with Team Cheever. And... And that was it. Uh, did not participate the year after in Indianapolis 500. I think he was there. I don't know if he ever made a qualifying run. Um, as I'm looking at it, uh, let's see. Failed to qualify. Uh, no, he was never even listed for, for that. But uh, did not uh, make the race in 2000. I don't think he ever made a qualifying run. But in 23rd in uh, in the Indianapolis 500 there in 1999, he was in Formula 3000 in 94, 95. Ran three races in Indy Lights in 98. He competed, again, in the 500 on behalf of Chiva Racing in 1999 and now owns a successful karting company, apparently. But um, 
did Lamont um, after uh, Indy or after IndyCar in 2000 and then kind of just falls off the cliff. But uh, in 1999, trust me, there's another at least three months of, of, of drivers <laughs> that we have. Yeah, in I, 1999, I'm looking at this list. IRL. There are a lot of people, like there's some we've covered, like Doug Dodaro. Yeah, we've tucked Dodaro on there. Um, and Several others I've never heard of. Oh, yeah. So it's going to be great. And, and so this is going to be the gift that keeps on giving. But that year with Wim, Wim Ekman's Team Cheever raced the uh, Delara IR9. That year, and it was the Oldsmobile branded engine. Um, was it Oldsmobile or Nissan or Infinity? So Oldsmobile, it was like they were all the above, above, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. they're Oldsmobile, and then there was Infinity because that is Nissan, right? Yes. So, so yeah, I get, but but it's not Oldsmobile. Yeah. It, well, remember the the was it the Bravada V8 or whatever it was a pace car? Oh, yeah. And, is that 98 or 99? That's true. Whenever that was. The Bravada, man, that's a blast yeah. from the past. A quintessential 90s car was the Bravada. Um, but yeah, it was Wim Ekman's. He just did the one-off for Indy for Team Cheever. Of course, Eddie Cheever uh, raced in every single race that season for his own team. But uh, Wim Ekman's just one and done. 23rd place finish in the Indianapolis 500 in 1999. Now, in terms of entries in that race... Um, looking at so it. So the here. Bravada was the 2001 pace car, uh, driven by Elaine Irwin Mellencamp, uh, ex-wife of John Mellencamp. Ah, yeah. They had the Oldsmobile Aurora in '97, so that's why I'm getting mixed up. I gotcha. remember '96, the Dodge Viper. That was really cool. Um, so k- kudos to to Wim Ekman's for making the race because let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine drivers failed to qualify, including three actual bumped out of the race um a dude named well, i'm gonna save that never mind he doesn't have a a, a wikipedia page we're just gonna have to roll with this guy uh who failed rookie in orientation didn't even pass rookie orientation that but, used to happen all the time yeah we're gonna have to pat we're gonna have to uh dig into that a little bit more but anyway this week's random split era driver of the week mr wim ekmans all right that wraps up this week's episode we'll be back next week latest news and rumors in indycar as they Get set to go to Southern California for the race at Long Beach next weekend. For Justin Kinney, I'm Caleb Hatch. Thanks for joining us. This has been New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.